Amen. Okay, we're going to uh, we're going to get into a series, <clears throat> and it's about the lies that we believe. Okay, and I want to <clears throat> I'm bringing this. We're in a season that I believe lots of things are being talked about. There's an election coming up, and you're hearing uh, particular ads on TV. And one is saying this, and one is saying that. So, as Christians, we have discernment. But we need to ask for that spiritual discernment. Spiritual discernment, basically, is actually discerning between good and evil. So, obviously, what is being spoken that's truth, and what is spoken that is not truth. And that's what we're going to talk about this week. This week we're going to talk about the lives that we believe as Christians. And I pray today you'd be able to see some of these things and all. It's pretty direct. pray that God would speak to our hearts. Next week we're going to talk about the lies that we believe about God. So as we begin, let's look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. If you'd like to stand while we read it, you're welcome to do that. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God didn't say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. And you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Amen. Thank you. You all know the story. The first deception, the first law, lie, from the father of lies, Satan himself. And a lot of people don't believe that there is even a devil, but there is. And there is a war going on. It's a war for, obviously, for the souls of mankind. But Jesus came, and he offered his life to redeem us from slavery and from that, those lies that, that Satan has, has started with from the very beginning. And so we want to talk about that. I think it's very important in any era, but certainly in this particular time of history. Because I believe that we are at a crisis of truth. You know, I've heard, read some statistics in the past by people who have done some, some polling in the church. And a certain percentage, and sometimes it's a large percentage, of people in the church, people who come to the church regularly, and they don't believe any absolute truth. They believe that basically it is subjective and it's relative to whatever the situation that you're in. That there's no standard of truth. There's no, obviously, truth bearer in that sense. And so they make decisions and, and uh, <clears throat> make choices based upon the things that they have obviously seen in that sense. Okay? So we want to look at that today. Because we live in a society that has discarded that concept or notion. There's such a thing as absolute truth here. Over the past 30 years... A subtle shift has been taking place in society that has moved from the belief that there is such a thing as truth to a point of view that says there are no universal truths. Everybody getting this? There are, we've moved in that period of time. My lifetime, certainly your lifetime also here. So at first it's very subtle, obviously with classes being introduced to our actually public school system that dealt with values clarification. And in these classes, teachers sometimes would intentionally introduce what is called a moral dilemma, for which there's no right or wrong answer. Things are being taught in the school system today, which we keep up with the news and we see what is happening today. There's a liberal slant in some things that are being done And it's being done because the people that are pushing this, they don't have a belief in absolute truth. 
And so we've a slow shift in our culture today. And it always begins with the children. Always remember this one thing. That Satan will obviously try to bring the children down. And bring them away from that authoritative, the family unit and all of that. So that is one thing that he does. Because if he can get the children, then we know that obviously there is obviously a loss in what God wants to do. And obviously to the extent of God and what he wants to do. If you see a very evident thing today, and that is certainly, is that we don't have the children. We don't have children here today. Over my lifetime, children have come to church. They've actually come to this church too. But today, there are no children here. That doesn't mean that other churches don't have children. But there is a slackness if you go up and down the probably third at third street here and all and is that you probably would see many a lot of the kids still are in 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 their homes and so forth their parents don't go to church and so therefore the children don't go to church and what happens is is that you lose a generation of of kids because they're the future church right and so we see that today because they do not believe that obviously everybody's going to heaven Everything is fine, and they don't need to be forgiven of their sins because obviously I haven't done anything real wrong and so forth, and that's the way they rationalize it. I saw that in hospice, people at the end of their life because they've been what we've called, they felt they were a good-hearted person. They gave, and they did all these things, but they never had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They had never given their life to Jesus, asked for forgiveness, and obviously asked him to be Lord over their lives. I saw it. And hundreds and hundreds of people over those 25 years that I was in hospice. But as the children go older, and you think about this, these values clarification classes would embrace more and more difficult choices here. When you get away from absolutes, and obviously you get away from the fact that life is precious, we get into an era of what we have seen here with Roe versus Wade and the abortion issue. And children are growing up saying, hey, uh, I have my right for this and, and so forth. And so we see it in the abortion issue. We see it in the euthanasia issue. And we see it in religion. And the goal of the liberal educators was to erode the moral base and authority that the parents have over their children's lives. We've seen it not too long ago there in Loudoun County up in Virginia where the, the parents kind of sort of had an uprising and said, no, these are our chi- children and we teach our children what the basics, the morals, the things that we believe are right and so forth. And the school system doesn't do that. Although in the past, in my time and maybe in your time, is there were several checks and balances in that. First of all, the ch- school upheld what the parents said. So in other words, when the school brought about discipline in the children's life, we know that they disciplined their children, and then they knew when they came home that they were going to be disciplined also. And we know then again, if it went further than that, and it went into society, that actually there was a consequence as far as doing crime or doing whatever it is in society. And so there were some things backing each other up today. Well, if anybody hadn't noticed, you've noticed how crime is actually on the ramp, really just ramped up all over this country. We see people being let out of uh, prisons before their time is served, and they go right back out and do the same crime again. And, and, and women are being raped, women being killed, people being killed, people getting shot. We can look at the news. It's not a, obviously a mystery to us. We can see it very clearly. It is a, a result of the destruction of the fabric of a culture today. But it begins with no absolute truth. Everything is relative, you know. And, and people and children are not being taught that today. Actually, in one particular curriculum there in the school system, it says this, a value is not a value unless a child has been given the freedom to choose from among competing values. If the child happens to choose a selfish, immoral, or even illegal value, it must not be criticized. As long as it is freely chosen, the value must be freely chosen. Anything taught from another source, such as the home or the church, is uh, authoritatively imposition, so it cannot be a true value. Again, what's being taught in the church 
is saying, oh, those old fuddy-duds, they don't know what they're talking about. They're just old-fashioned. They need to get with the program. And so we see that happening. And it is a slippery slope downward when we see that happening in our culture, in, in our society today. And it begins because there's not really any right or wrong. If it feels good, do it. We know back in the 60s, that was sort of a slogan. If it feels good, do it. There are no consequences to sin. And sometime, just a few weeks ago, I talked about the fact, why is it that we people sin? And we see things, obviously, these things happening and so forth. Because people don't see, actually, the uh, immediate consequences of their sin. But see, there's a day of reckoning for all of us today. And those who have not accepted Jesus Christ into their lives, we know, obviously, they'll face that judgment before God. Because the Bible says that, obviously, it, that, that we, there's one day the judgment takes place after death. After that, the judgment. So we see that happening all over our country. And so the use of values cal- clarification techniques results in an alienation between children and their parents. And the whole process conveys the message that parents have no right to even attempt to shape the moral development of their children. Again, it's a trick of Satan himself to divide the children from the parents. Oh, they don't know what to do, so old-fashioned and so forth. And so the Bible was there and drawing dust on the coffee table. They've seen it. We've got sort of a, a form of religion, but we deny the power therein. And so we see that happening. It's a lie, actually, straight from the pit of hell. And we know that who propagates it? Satan himself. And what he's doing that, and he's doing that very well in many cases. Children were taught to believe that parents were wrong, to teach them that there's no moral absolutes to guide their behavior here. And the result is the child is led to the conclusion that truth is subjective. And if truth is subjective, then there can be no ultimate authority of ultimate right and wrong. No ultimate ethical system here. That's why we see the corruption that we see, whether it be in in the government or in other types of institutions today, certainly. If everything is subjective, where does the child turn for truth and guidance? If all outside sources such as parents and Christianity have been rejected as authoritative impositions, then there's only one choice to which the child can turn. To themselves. The old lie. When Eve took there and sinned there in the Garden of Eden. The devil says surely you won't die. In fact your eyes are going to be opened. In fact you'll have wisdom beyond what you would ever imagine. Surely you won't die. And see the devil tells us the same thing. Tells the children today. You know you can do this and there are no consequences. You know, just go on and do this and do that and so forth and all. And de- the devil is constantly trying to, to tell us and get us off course so that we will not live to the highest, obviously, degree that God desires and the blessing that God has for you and for me. He does that on a regular basis here. So this is the foundation for which the children through public schools, I believe, beginning in the 1980s. In fact, I'll go back to the 1960s when t- prayer was taken out of school. And I've talked to people about this, and the first thing that they say, well, Jim, you know that if there's a Christian prayer in the school, then there has to be the other religion's prayer there also. No, you don't figure it that way. You don't rationalize it that way. What we did was basically say, God, you have no place in the school system. And I know one thing, <clears throat> if I was, y'all were in a school system where, where uh, if you knew you did wrong, I don't know about you, but, but uh, obviously if the principal was coming in the classroom, I was almost at attention when that principal came in. If a policeman drove my, my car, I was almost like, man, I hope I'm doing the right speed and I'm driving straight down the road and all these other things because obviously I respect authoritative people in our society today, but there is no obviously respect for these things today. I remember one time, y'all have had many stories probably in your school. I'll tell you about mine, obviously, and uh, kind of reveal some of the secrets about Jim Barcliffe. And I was in, uh, in, I believe it was junior high. And if you remember back then, uh, actually in my, at my age anyway, that people, the kids would smoke, okay? And so uh, you couldn't smoke in a school, of course, and all. And, you know, and they had a place back there kind of set back in the corner of the schoolyard where the guys would go back there and smoke and have a smoke and all. Well, 
I knew some guys that smoked and all, and, and uh, I believe somehow I walked towards the place or whatever because I didn't smoke. But anyway, somehow the principal had seen me or thought he had seen me anyway, and I got called in. You know where you're sitting there, and they come by and put a slip over you, and it says report to the principal's office. Has anybody ever experienced that except for me? Okay. Y'all are looking at me like, Jim, you're the only one that's ever been in that situation in your life. And I'm feeling really isolated here. Help me. And I took the, the note, went on down to the principal's office, and he was sitting back. And if you remember what they did back then with discipline, they had a paddle. Well, they upped the ante there. And the paddle wasn't just a straight board. Actually, it had holes in it. Because when you got popped, you actually, if, if, I don't know how bad it could get, but it could get bad. Well, here we go. I go in, and I knew I hadn't smoked, and I hadn't been back there either. And all, somehow he had associated me with it and so forth. And, and he was going to bring and, and merit out discipline as a result of this. You talk about somebody doing some real quick negotiations. I'm telling you, I was, I, I was hanging in there with that. No, sir. No, sir, I, haven't, I wasn't doing that. I wasn't doing it, and, and I, I wasn't there. I don't smoke and all this other stuff. Well, eventually I talked him out of it, and I didn't get any pops out of it. The praise the Lord. Thank the Lord. So that, please, uh, y'all can give me credit for that, okay? But what I'm saying here, I had respect because I know right from wrong. My parents taught me right from wrong, okay? Did I always do right? No. And I'm not standing up here in any way saying that. I'm just saying today, when the teaching and foundation has no absolute truth, there's basically, it's left up to who you are. Now, that's the same way with us today. But it begins with the children. But I believe it begins being ingrained. And I'm not saying to go back to my generation at all. Because people say, well, Jim, your generation is different than the younger generation. Certainly here today. But foundationally, it's about absolute truth. And the Word of God is inerrant and it's infallible. It is the Word of God. And God says exactly what He means from His Word today. He has given us these 66 books, given us all we need to be able to live the life. And actually, our lives should line up with the Word of God like a plumb line and to be in direct relationship with, with the Word of God and with Jesus Christ. Amen. But that's not happening, you see. Some of you probably have experienced, obviously, some things in your life about that. The difference between believing a lie. When you believed a lie and what happened versus believing the truth and actually have experienced those consequences. And I'll try to show you how deeply the lies we believe sink their, their hooks into our lives and how they negatively affect our lives here. And our culture is filled with deception. Yet we long to believe the lives that we're told sometimes because we fall for them if they push the right button in us. And you see, Satan doesn't come right out and say, hey, I, I hate God and I'm trying to become your God in your life. He doesn't come right out with the red uh, pitchfork and the horns and so forth. He doesn't do that. He does it very subtly. And he begins to sink that hook into our lives by telling us a lie. Maybe just a little bit of distortion of the truth. Maybe just a little bit over here, a little different than what God... See, Satan didn't actually completely, just completely contradict. He began to sort of put a little slant on it. And obviously, he fell for it. And it's the same way today. In other words, there is absolute truth. And it's through the Word of God, believing that. And so how many times... Have you gone to a sale? Listen to this. This is an illustration. And it, the actual the sale says, the last chance to save. Anybody ever? You see that and you, my gosh, I better go ahead and get that, that whole living room set of furniture. You know, it doesn't make any difference if I go in debt or whatever else. Y'all know what I'm saying. And the sign is at last, this is the lowest price there'll ever be. And you go over there and you see the price and you pull the tag out. And a price on the back of that tag is actually lower than the, t the, the front of the tag that you're looking at. So they just flip the tag over and next week it'd actually be lower. But you believe it. Why? Because advertising is very effective. That's why you see today the commercials for elected people coming on one behind the other about what they've done and what they haven't done or what they believe may be true and untrue or whatever. And it's being blasted one behind the other, sometimes right behind the other. 
Because sometimes you've always heard the expression, you tell somebody a lie long enough and they'll believe it. They know what they're doing. And it's Satan behind it. Because he's the father of all lies. So the lies that you and I believe will affect the way you live your Christian life is what I'm saying. It will greatly affect your life and why my life certainly advertising appeals to our natural human longings. Oh man, this is, the, this is the best thing since sliced bread. This is great here. And you begin to believe these things. And so we see this scripture here. We need to examine exactly what God is saying because it's a scripture that we've read. We know it actually probably be by heart. But one of the things the scripture says right off the bat is that Satan, the serpent, was very crafty and he was subtle and he was sly here. He didn't try to assault God with criticism, but instead he worked to deceive them and seduce them by making an offer that was reasonable, desirable, and not blatantly anti-God. That's the way Satan works. Had he said, God's a liar, he's no good, and he just wants you to be his slaves, they probably would have turned and walked away and wouldn't have yielded to the temptation. But he didn't do that. He did it very, very subtly. God just creeped in. Just a little lie. You know, sometimes we always use the illustration, talk to somebody, and we were talking about the books of the Bible, and the person said, well, you know, why don't you just turn to Hezekiah chapter 3? And I thought, there's no book in the Bible of Hezekiah. You may have heard it. Somebody will say something. And I go, there's no book. There's no book in, in the Bible. And so what we've got is a society and a church, in many cases, who are illiterate as to what the Word of God says. You've heard it before. I'd go in homes, people dying. I'm talking about people leaving this earth. And they would say something like, well, I'd say, do they know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior? And they would say, well, you know, Mama was a good person. You know, Mama, Mama didn't do this, Mama didn't do that. And Mama was a good, good giver. She really gave. But I said, no, I'm not asking. I'm asking, have they put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Ask for the forgiveness of their sins and trust in Him for eternal life. Well, no. You know, no, we're not like that. And so what they say is, everything goes, whatever. But if I'm just kind of good, I can sort of walk between these boundaries here, then it all is well. And see, that's a lie straight from the pit of hell. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way to heaven. Only through Jesus. Do you know not every church is preaching that today? There are a lot of churches, and I actually saw one today on TV, actually. <laughs> kind of shocking, and I won't name the denomination. Actually, the mainline denomination. That actually, in their bingo games, that they were having drag queens that were coming for entertainment. It's accepted, okay? Y'all know what I'm saying. They believe the lie. They've somehow come along, they polluted the gospel, they have diluted the gospel, and they have, we've got what we've got. And we don't preach the truth. Why? It's because we may not believe it ourselves. And we may believe that somebody in the family or somebody in society will sort of turn away from us and, and not actually feel like they won't have respect for us anymore like what we think they had in the past before. And so we don't stand on the truth. And I'm not saying to beat people over the head with things, okay? I'm just saying you need to know where you stand and I need to know where I stand. We are living in a time, I believe, where possibly... As we move into this era of anti-God types of things, is the church being persecuted more than what we've ever seen before in this country today? Because we really haven't had the persecution that we see in other parts of the world. But I believe before it's over with, according to the Word of God, is that we will. There will be persecution. There will be a testing of your faith and my faith and whether we believe what we actually have said. And we may have sit in a church pew for all of our lives and we have no idea what the Word of God says. Very, very subtle. That's the way Satan works. Oh, it's okay. Come on, Jim. You're getting a little bit too fanatical here. Well, Satan's method for getting Christians who are walking in by the flesh doesn't even require cover, covering the hook that he puts in them. When you and I don't walk in the Spirit and actually deny or, or gratify the lust of the flesh, you and I are vulnerable. 
When we're not walking in the Spirit, where we're walking in compromise, let me tell you, th- other things come in. Why? It's because it opens the door to the enemy to come in and, and spew his lies in your heart and my heart. When we're not walking in the Spirit, when, when God is not first place in our lives, when God is not Lord over our lives, and I'm not just talking about on Sunday morning, I'm talking about every day of your life and my life. It is a daily walk with Jesus Christ. Then Satan has the ability because we open the door. You see, God protects us, but we've got to obviously co- cooperate. We've got to obviously not do those things that we know, walking in the flesh here. But when we walk by the Spirit, it's more difficult for Satan to get our attention here. When Satan tempts you, he doesn't come right out and say, hey, turn away from God. Rather, what he does is distract you. He disarms your guard. And he tries to, to get your attention off of God. The Bible says those who have their minds set upon the Spirit, the spiritual, those things that don't set their minds on the flesh, they're going to do the fleshly things. What's your mind set on today? What were you thinking about when you got up this morning? What was I thinking about this morning? And you say, but Jim, you're the preacher. You better be thinking about the sermon. Yes, indeed. Right? But what was my mind be thinking about tomorrow morning or Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning? It is about, obviously, God. And he knows what it will take for him to protect us and to keep us safe from these lies that are going around today. I just want to encourage you as you go to the booth, actually to vote in November, you need to ask God to put godly men and women in these positions that we know that other, others have gotten into. And we need to pray and ask God that we would vote for the right person to go in there, not because we're affiliated with a party. I don't have an R behind my name, and I don't have a D, and I don't have an I. I have, a, I have obviously, J, Jesus Christ behind me, and I want to do his will in my life, and I know you do also. So put those men and women in office that God leads you to. If you ask him, folks, he will guide you. And you say, yeah, but that's in the political scene. He works in every area of life, I'll tell you right now. All you got to do is ask him. He'll guide us. The church needs to rise up, actually, and, and set the standard. You and I are called to set a standard. We're called to obviously walk the walk, not just talk about it, and not just come in here where we can get our our ears tickled on a Sunday morning. We've come in to make a difference in this world, to let our light shine in this darkness, and let Jesus Christ rule and reign once more. Because if we don't have revival, I always said, we got an issue, I want to tell you. If God doesn't pour His Spirit out, we've got an issue, and we need to stand firm. See, Satan wanted to drive a wedge to separate them from God. He desired to destroy the freedom that they had with God and turn them into slaves. And that's why Jesus redeemed us. And the word redemption actually means being taken out of slavery. And you and I were slaves of sin until we received Jesus Christ into our lives. He set us free. That's what redemption actually means. You see, if he wants to keep you from experiencing the best that God has for you, he knows that if he can keep you from experiencing God's love to its fullest, then he will. You will be lukewarm, and you'll be discouraged, you'll be depressed, and you'll be ineffective. But you've got to step out. Nancy taught on the book of Esther today. It's really revealing. Because Esther stepped out in faith, and God rewarded her. She came, and she, the Bible says that she was at that particular time of history for such a time as this. And I've used that expression before over the years. And you and I are here for such a time as this. You're not here by accident. You're here, obviously, to tell other people about Jesus, to walk with him, to obviously be sanctified if you've accepted Jesus in your life today and you're born again, to be sanctified and to become more like Jesus to actually be followers of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus, and we've been talking about that. You are. That's why we're here for such a time as this. See, Satan planted doubt in her mind about what God had actually said here, and the serpent planted that doubt in the woman's mind about God's motivation as they conversed about the trees in the garden. Satan was able to entice the woman by suggesting that God didn't have their best interests in mind, that maybe God was trying to keep something from them in order to protect his power. And the serpent simply sowed the seeds of distrust by suggesting that God might be withholding something very desirable from them. That's what he did. That's what he does. 
He does it good, very good. We have discernment. We have protection, praise God. But I want to tell you, he does it very good. You know what people say, well, if I become a Christian, then I have, actually I can't have any fun anymore. <laughs> right? Oh, you really have fun once you become a Christian. But see, that's the deception, you know? People down here in Kima, they've got these big yachts that are going out of here, I guarantee you, right as I speak today. And they're not setting foot in church. And God has blessed them with different things, material things. And they go out, they don't give a second thought of God. Praise God for those who do. And I'm not stereotyping. I'm just saying the things we have in this world are distractions many times. It keeps us from the, the, the actually best of what God has for you and for me. Gets us discouraged. Keeps us obviously down in the dumps and so forth. Because we've compromised. Esther didn't compromise. She actually stepped out in faith, didn't she? And Mordecai and Esther were rewarded for what, their faithfulness. Because they believed God. And they believe what God has said. And God's name wasn't even mentioned in that particular scripture. But it was God working behind the scenes. God's working behind the scenes in your life and my life, praise God. And he's putting things in place. But the issue is, do we recognize it? Do we know and we participate and partner with God and whatever God has for us? And, and the conviction that I had, and I just mentioned to Nancy, I said, as a person, individual conviction am I doing what God wants me to do because this is actually very important that I examine myself the Bible says actually that Paul says examine yourself to make sure you're in the faith right but also as a pastor of this church it's, it's very convicting we as, as God's people here corporately as the pastor here I obviously and that's why I say pray for me because I want to do God's will in this church I don't care what it means and I don't care what God does but I just want God's will in this church I want the will of God in each of your lives I want God's very best for each one of you and when I read and hear that story it convicts you because see Satan's real subtle and they say oh well you're a preacher Jim he's got you know it's Kind of like, he can't get to you. Oh, yes, he can. I come under the same temptations y'all do. In fact, maybe even worse sometimes because he knows I'll share the word. There's a battle going on. It's a battle for the souls of our children. And Satan knows when he can bring the children down, that next generation will be lost. God always makes a, makes a way, even when it doesn't seem to be. But there is obviously, I believe, in different ways, we don't do the will of God. We don't have what God's best is for each one of us. Or even here at Lighthouse Fellowship, but we're not doing the will of God. So keep praying. But continue to be and keep the faith. But also he put the doubt there. James talks about doubt as being double-minded, divided in interest. He said, if you ask for wisdom, he'll give it to you. Even if you ask, keep asking, Lord, I need wisdom every morning, every day. I ask for it on a regular basis and so forth. But he said, you've got to believe that God will give it to you. Because if you don't, he said, you're like that man tossed to and fro. And he said, don't expect that man to receive anything. And so that doubt actually causes double-mindedness. Double-mindedness. And so that doubt comes in and, and divides us. And we begin to doubt what God has said. And we begin to walk again in the flesh instead of in the spirit. And we begin to drift. That slow drift away. A little step away from God. Before long, that fire down in your belly is no longer there. That's why I pray. Lord, let that fire fall again, please. Because without that fire of the Spirit of God in your life and my life, then I know that I'll drift and I'll drift away from God. You read this passage. She begins to doubt what Adam told her that God had and said about the tree and even about God himself. She begins to be torn between the two interests, what God has said and what the devil is appealing to. Looks real good. Man, it's good. Nobody will know. Nobody will know. You know, walk away, I come in church, hey, everything's great. Put on my Sunday best, so to speak. I comb my hair. Don't have much, but I comb it. And then walk forward, but leaving, nobody will know. Help me, Lord, help me. We need God every moment of every day. And what God actually said there in Genesis 2, 16, 70, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden... You may eat freely, but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you'll surely die. 
And so what Satan says, indeed, as God says, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And so he works his method of doubt, testing her memory. Eve misquotes God, having gotten her uh, the information from Adam secondhand. And God sa- has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you'll die. And the misquotations, taking what God has said and adds to it, she has obviously not handled the word of God very well. And you see, what God is trying to do with you and I is that we handle the word of God very well in the way he desires. Because we can do that. And we can fall into error. So if if Satan can get you and I to stop holding to God's word to diminish its value or to minimize its importance, to mishandle it or misunderstand it, to obviously uh, fail to remember it, then he will have disarmed us. Meditate. Why does, Josh, why does God tell Joshua in Joshua chapter 1? He says, meditate on this word day and night. He said, do not be discouraged. Don't be afraid. But meditate on the word of God day and night. He said, because you're going to be able to conquer your en- enemies. But what happens is, we don't know the word. When Satan comes, he blindsides us. It looks real good. And then we begin to take and we begin to eat of it just like Adam and Eve did. We began to partake of that. Listen to this about the Southern Baptist. Okay. The Southern Baptist is the most heavily and successful uh, recruited denomination by cults. Such as Jehovah's Witness and Mormons and the Way International. Why? As well, they know just enough Bible to be tricked and not enough to, re- to reject error here. And a small percentage, if you think about it today, of any congregation attends Bible study on any given Sunday here. Just a small, we're not studying the Word of God. We're not obviously getting into the Word. We're not giving our lives over. We're not learning in the Word of God. We're not growing in that because a small percentage, even actually, there, Southern Baptist, any church, are attending Sunday school on a regular basis here. See? And so what happens is you see that the Southern Baptists, even the Southern Baptists, big denomination, believing the Bible, can be drawn away and deceived. All of us. The Bible says in the end times, even the, uh, though the elect would be deceived and fall away if God didn't stay his hand. You and I need to know the word of God. We need to know when it's God and when it isn't God. You and I, and I'm learning to hear the voice of God. It's a continual learning. Don't, don't think it's not. We're all growing in that, but we should be growing. But you see, I've always said, if you're not moving forward, then you're moving backwards. There's no stagnation in the Christian life. There's no standing still in my life or your life. If we're not pressing into God, then actually we're pulling back. And the Bible said in the book of Hebrews, he's not pleased with us. We're to press into God and not draw back. He's saying today, you and I have the truth. We all know. And so one of the enemy's favorite tools is to get us to believe something untrue about God. He'll try to get you to believe that if you lose a loved one, that God isn't concerned about you. He'll try to get you to conclude that if you're a failure, because obviously some type of sin you're really dealing with and you're really seeking the Lord, you're repenting of it and so forth, but it continues to pop its head up and that you're a failure, you're no good. See, what you and I learn as children, a lot of times it definitely affects us as adulthood. Does anybody know that? Okay. Anybody know here their generational sins? I've gone back over the years and I continue to revisit this in my life. There were things in my family going back that actually have affected my life today. And I know it's because there is a generational sin. Those curses that have been placed on your life and my life need to be broken. Because you begin to believe it. If as a child you were told you're no good and you'll never amount to anything. And how many children today are told that when you grow up to be an adult, I want to tell you without any shadow of doubt, it will affect the way you walk with Jesus today. never amount to anything it's a lie and what happens with a lie you begin to mull it over you begin to allow that bird's nest to come and build the bird's nest and here come the birds and so forth you allow that to come in your life and you begin to actually meditate on that you begin to believe a lie and that's why we see today why is that because there is a certain percentage 
of families that don't have fathers in them. Now we know the family unit is most important to the Lord. He ordained it and he started it. But what's happened is, is the family unit is being destroyed. There is no family unit. And I'm not talking about the fact that moms cannot raise their children godly. Don't get me wrong. But it has an effect upon you because that particular unit is meant to give guidance to that child as they grow up in those formidable, formidable years and to mold them and, to, and obviously push them. They have a choice, yes. But if they're told, or they feel rejected. You know, our society isn't, uh, obviously, I think, a, if you call it a pandemic of rejection. They feel they're rejected. And so when they try to come to Jesus Christ, one way or another, they go, oh gosh, he'll not receive me. See, what's happened, they believe the lie way back here. And so it continues to, to ra- be raised up in our lives. And don't get me wrong, none of us were raised in perfect households, okay? I'm not saying that. But that's why when we offer prayer here at this church, that is so that you get free. It's not to sort of say, well, I can pray this or I can pray better than somebody else. It is obviously participate with you so you can walk in the freedom here as an adult, as someone that obviously a child of God. That's why we offer prayer because we all have backgrounds. We all have believed things that weren't true about us today. We are not perfect we were not raised in that environment thank god for those godly men and women that raised the children in that but they weren't perfect even in that i wasn't a perfect father we need that prayer now and that's why that prayer continually needs to be for you and maybe for me he'll try to get you to give up trying to pray because somehow god doesn't care didn't heal your loved one i've heard many people walk out of church because their loved one wasn't healed and maybe they went to heaven or whatever but God didn't answer their prayer the way they thought they, he should answer them and they left the church they've never darkened the doors of church again they feel disappointed it's serious the truth was God said you can eat you're free to eat from any tree in the garden but one the truth God's generous only one do not sign existed in the garden. If you believe a lie about God, then you'll filter everything that you read in the Bible through that lie and through that filter. Do you know that? You believe that lie. You believe that God has given up on you. You're a failure. You'll never make it. When we begin to believe that, you filter everything you do in life and you'll become depressed and you'll become lukewarm and you'll become sort of just empathetic, just you know, just apathetic as far as your walk with the Lord. You won't have the passion and desire down deep. And so if you don't have a passion and desire for the Lord today, God will rekindle that flame if you'll ask him, and we can pray for you. God doesn't want you to walk around lukewarm. He doesn't want me to be. He wants a fire to fall on this church and my life and your life. He wants to do these things, but we've got to be in a position to receive, and we've got to know this is what God wants. What about this? You know, the boss, your relationship with your boss, they said you were just really, you, you, you're no good. You know, you were de- demoted and, and all and so forth. And all a lot of times, and if a parent said something to you about it, you begin to take on the fact that it's your fault. And really, it was that person, the parent's fault, or whoever it was that said it's fault. But we believe it was our fault, okay? Not that we're not at fault at times. But what it means is we believe those lies and we let them get down deep in our hearts, and it's very dangerous. You see, the devil seduced Eve with false promises and benefits if she would eat it. And that's what happens. He tells her, you'll have a world of knowledge, experience, open up to you that you'll never have before. Your eyes shall be opened. You'll be your own God. And that's what's happening today in our society. Satan said, well, that's God's opinion. But let me tell you the truth here. He always distorts it. Remember? He does it very subtly. And see, obviously, Satan says, well, you're entitled to your own opinion. How many times have you seen people today? It's downright wrong. And yet they go, well, you think it's wrong, I think it's right. I'll form my own opinion about it, right? And it's clearly wrong. 
And actually it says in the last days that people will say those things that obviously are, are good or evil and those things that are evil are good. They'll get it all back uh, uh, diff- messed up. Have y'all seen that happening today? I have. <laughs> they're calling good evil and they're calling evil good. It's backwards, messed up. Because why? They believe the lie. And I believe someone who lies and lies and lies like sometimes you hear them is that they can't tell the truth because the truth is not in them. You see, it's an illusion that you can get to be your own God, your life, and that you're the ultimate authority and that you'll not have to account for your life someday. When I share Jesus with people, the one reason that people say that they aren't ready to receive Christ is that they don't want to give up playing God in their own lives. How about you? How about you? How about me? Do I play God in my own life? Have I been before the throne of grace and said, Lord, come, I want you to be Lord. Renew me, revive me, wake me up, Lord, if there's any deception in my life because, see, that's where we are. God is saying today to you and me, is it certainly deception and, and what the enemy says is, is, if it feels right, here, let me tell you one of the main things. I'll tell you, as a pastor, I do many weddings, or some weddings anyway, and have. Many people say, well, you know, we're just going to live together because it's more convenient. Let me tell you right now, it's fornication. You talk about adultery when you get married. But it's fornication when you live with somebody before marriage. I don't care what they say. And it's not, it, not absolute truth. When we believe that lie, it is not. And yes, they say, we're going to get married anyway, and so forth. Well, good. Then wait until you're married. And what happens is they begin to have sex before marriage. And they bring on that curse on them. And they need to go before God and ask forgiveness for having fornication before they got married. And purify their wedding. That is because God can purify. We all mess up. But I'm telling you today, sin is sin. And you call sin what it is. See? But it feels good. Makes sense, doesn't it? But see, Satan promises the best but pays with the worst. Promises honor and pays with disgrace. Promises pleasure and pays with pain. Promises profit and pays with loss. Promises life and pays with death. So why do we go for, the, for that lure, for that thing? You guys that are fishermen, y'all know. That hook there is because we don't see Satan as a serpent. But he becomes to us, you see, disguised. As the New York Times. He comes to us disguised in that liberal mindset. Leftist, anti-God, liberal, anti-everything culture and society today. And see, he comes at us with those things. And we just kind of let it go. And you and I are called to make a difference, you see. Well... If it contradicts the word of God, wrong. Period. It's wrong. We've got to come back to purity and holiness. It is a pursuit of holiness. And it is a journey. And it is a lifelong pursuit. But it's something very important in your life and my life. It's a pursuit of holiness. God says, be holy because I'm holy. And without holiness, no man shall see God. Yes, we're positionally holy. But that sanctification is every day in your life and my life. And that sanctification is based upon the fact of, of me being obedient to the Lord. I stumble and fall and I confess, I repent, I get back up and keep going and so forth. But I don't throw in the towel. He's not finished with me. He's not finished with you also. Our lives... Many times they're not gen- generally built on truth. Someone treats us a certain way and we make assumptions about our size, our, ourselves. Patient lo- uh, a, a parent loses patience there. We again think it's our problem when it's theirs. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, there are different interpretations, but I believe it just like what it says. Of the man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Think you're no good? 
You don't think you can witness? You don't think you can go to your neighbor and tell them about Jesus? Because somehow or another you believe you'll be embarrassed or whatever? Well, Esther certainly convicted me. As she stepped out, she risked her life to tell because she saved the Jewish race. I don't know who you're going to save. You can't save anybody, but I don't know how, many, how God can use this instrument of salvation for people, God presenting Jesus to them. Who knows what you say to a family member that may bring about salvation. Jesus does that. Salvation generational, generationally from now on. We don't know that. But what do we do? I can't do that. Come on, it's preacher's business. You know how many I long when I was raised up? It was always the preacher supposed to do this. The preacher supposed to do that. I'm coming and I'm listening and I'm coming in and, and so forth. I'm getting fed. I need to be fed in the church. You know, I, I'm getting fed. A preacher preach. He feed me and so forth. And I'm, I'm supposed to, I'm coming in. No, I'm telling you, you and I are called to minister. You and I are called to tell people about Jesus. Preachers can't do it all. We learn, we grow, even in the Bible, in, the, in, in church, we've learned things. And it stays with us today. I was never talked about the move of the Spirit before in my church. In fact, I was told many times that that really wasn't of God. I mean, come on, they would get a little bit too, too charismatic, a little bit too fanatical about it. I mean, think about if people raised their hands in the service. I mean, goodness, Jim, we're carrying this too far. You see, this is what we learn even in the church today because we believe the lie. And I started looking at the Bible and I said, lifting of hands and, and, and praying and, and singing to the Lord and praising Him and all that stuff was all biblical. You see how easy it is? We begin to slip down that slippery slope of compromise is what happens. James chapter 1 says, Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. James said, don't be deceived. You start mulling things around. You don't obviously stop it at the doorway, which is your mind. It's between your, your ears here, right? That's where everything takes place. You hear it. You believe it. You hear the word. You read the word. You, you hear the, the message in song and so forth. You begin. If you don't believe it, and you don't, obviously, God worked that in my heart because I want to know you. If God's not your priority, what is your priority? What's my priority? If God is not my priority, guarantee you, if God's not my priority, then obviously something in my past has come in to sort of like kind of make me look at it now and judge it and this and that and so forth. And you see, we've got to be renewed. We've got to come back to the Lord. A song I listen to, the words are, lead us back to our first love. Because he told the church in Ephesus there in Revelation chapter 3, he said, I got, I, you're doing great things. We're doing great things here. But he says, you forgot about one thing. You've left your first love. And that's Jesus. You feel like that today? There's obviously, if you feel like it, God wants to revive you. He wants to renew your faith in Him. He wants you to know that those lives that obviously, those lies you've, you've maybe believed or were a lie, the example of bondages that Christians are in today because they believe the lie. They're saved. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying today, God says, Jesus said, I came to set the captive free. He wants us free. And he wants to walk in that, wants to walk in that freedom. You and I. Me. Me. Physical. Eating. Substance abuse. Emotional anxiety. Fear. Depression. Sexual. Financial. Debt. Greed. Stinginess, habits, anger, lying, excessive TV, books, or diversions. Do you have a need for approval? Or you have a victim mentality? Or you have shyness? The list goes on and on and on. You see, Satan has a field day longing for us, keeping us from experiencing God's very best here. Let's become overcomers. We have the victory in Jesus. Is this making sense? Everybody go, uh-uh, or uh-uh. Now, Jim, it's time for you to quit. <laughs> it's true. It's just like that computer. What you put in is going to come out. Everybody know that because we're computer age, aren't we? What goes in is going to come out. All right, how do you do it? Identify the lie. Ask God. Get before the Lord and ask him to show you. Have I believed a lie? 
is somewhere I've kind of compromised on it. And that's individual. That's between you and the Lord and tell him here. Because lies are hidden, deceptive. Ask God to reveal the unseen to you. And reach the point where you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. You don't want it anymore. I want to be free. That's why we pray for people around this place. And then replace that lie with the truth. The Bible says in John chapter 8, you shall know the truth and what? Everybody know? The truth will set you free. Amen. Thank y'all. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Amen. And turn it over to Jesus. Amen. Okay. I want to ask the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord to right now, if you bow your heads, and just let me pray for you. If there is a deception in anybody's life here, Lord, bring it to their mind right now. Holy Spirit, I ask you to do that. If there's a deception, if they believe the lie, bring it to their minds. Reveal it, Holy Spirit. Is when you were growing up in your home and they were loving parents, but but they said something out of anger or frustration about you. And you still bring it and it's it's coming to your mind now. Just ask the Lord to replace it with his truth. Ask him, he'll do it. Thank you, Lord. Let me mention one about me so I'll get, make it real personal here. When I was growing up, um, I didn't know this, but um, when my brother was born, and I love my brother, and and all, and he didn't have anything to do with it. But my parents, and they were they were super really good parents. They weren't perfect, but my dad and mom, and there were issues, obviously. But, and my dad was a disciplinarian, okay. I'd be careful about that, because I think sometimes when you, you lean towards that, because he didn't have a father, so he had no model, and I knew that. But when he came, when my brother came, and and all, they were showing attention to him, and as a kid, I can remember God showed me that I actually took on a spirit of rejection at that time. That I was being rejected. Well, I wasn't. They loved me. But it seemed to be the attention that he was getting, obviously, was there. I'd been a child. He's, I'm three years older than he is. And that, that rejection was there. I said, where did that come from? And then God began to show me. And I felt rejection through different things. In, in high school. I was played basketball, I played sports, ran track and different things and all. I wasn't the best, but I played. But the little group of click, the click of boys, they were click. I never could get into that click. They wouldn't let me in. They called me turkey because I have a long neck. <laughs> well, I had a nickname, turkey. Well, I just took on the nickname, turkey. But in some ways, as a youngster, it has a way that affects you. But I couldn't get in that clique. And a couple of them wanted to fight me. So I had to fight, okay? And I had to get rough. And I wasn't that way. I wasn't a rough and tumble. I was not a, you know, but I had to fight. And I fought. But they never would accept me in that group. And I was praying about it. And I said, Lord, how's this affecting me? And you know, I didn't realize how it affected me. And I asked God to come and, and reveal that about how he saw me at that time of my life. And, and that I had taken on something I shouldn't have, but God wanted to free me of it. That's an example. Maybe sometimes some of you have gone through some of the same things. Sometimes in, in, a, in a marriage, if someone has gone through a divorce, and they feel like, you know, uh, one way or another, and we know it takes two to tango, but we also know the, the, the forgiveness and, and God's restoration in your life when that takes place and the freedom that he wants to give you no matter whether, what you've gone through. The deaths that we've experienced also of people that we love and how sometimes it feels like, well, 
you know, you're grieving, and that's very natural. But sometimes we get stuck, and it could be that we're a little angry at God about it because, obviously, your loved one didn't stay and live out that journey uh, on this earth with you like you thought it would be. Things changed, whatever it may be. I'm just saying, God will show you if you ask him, and he'll heal your heart. But there are lies that are being propagated today, day in and day out. And we know at various times we sense that and we feel it. So just ask the Lord. Get with him. Lord, let's heal our hearts. Uh, make us more like Jesus. Help. Know that we're, uh, we're the righteous of God in Christ Jesus, that we have the victory in Jesus Christ, that you see us, that we're the bride of Christ, that, dear God, today we humble ourselves, but yet, Lord, we know that we're important in the kingdom of God, that you love us with an everlasting love. You never stop loving us, and you never will. And we ask you, Lord, to reveal that agape love and also phileo love, the experiential love of our Father. Thank you, Father, for this day and all what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Makes sense? Okay. Next week we'll talk about the lies that we believe about God. Now, I just, I'm excited about it because I believe that maybe some things will be revealed to all of us. And this week, get along with the Lord and just say, have I believed a lie? Is there something you want me just to ask you for healing? He is so good. And remember, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. He doesn't condemn you. He doesn't take that bat up in heaven like we think, man, if we do, we mess up one more time. Here he comes. No, he's not. That's not who he is. He loves us beyond anything we could ever imagine. He just wants us to know that love no matter what's happened in your life and my life. Thank you, Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. All of God's people said, amen. Thank you for your attention. Come back next Sunday. We're going to have a wonderful time in the, in, in the word of God. Amen. Amen.